this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, it's Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Sometimes you, you come across people in your life and they absolutely just just blow you away with their with their with their enthusiasm with their approach with with the message that they are they're talking about and and today is that very person and and I want to introduce you to Candice Mama now people that are outside of um the health and safety profession may may have known of Candice but to people within it probably don't you know Candice is not a health and safety professional Candice is somebody that has gone through some something absolutely unbelievable in her life and has come out the other side and 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 we talk about forgiveness um we talk about all sorts of things um you know you look at her website you know she's she's voted um vogue's one of the top 33 most influential people in the world alongside um michelle obama malala um and uh and she is just a truly inspirational person um i was very fortunate to uh to spend some time with her um just talking about her uh her life and her experience, and um, I am absolutely uh, I'm blessed to be able to to be able to introduce you to to Candice. So um, you know, I welcome you, Candice. Candice, thank you so much for coming on the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. I'm so looking forward to this uh, to this episode. Um, oh, thank you, know, you so much for having me, Colin. No, no, it's, I'm, I'm you know I, I um. I heard you speak fairly recently at an event that um that we did with uh with Rob Moore and uh and you, you absolutely absolutely blew me away in the time that you had and uh, and I just I was just from that moment I thought I've got to I've got to not, not just hear you again but what I've got to do is I've got to give so many other people the opportunity to hear to hear you talk because it was it was just inspiring what you had to say um you know so but to start with, you know, can you give us a, give us a little bit of background about uh, about about who you are, where you live, you know, what you what you do, and then we'll and then we'll go into a few more questions. Oh my goodness, Colin, that is such a big question for me because, as you know, your listeners don't know yet, but who I am is very closely tied to what I do, and it's very closely tied to everything else in my life. So um, it's always fun when I get asked that on a first date because I'm like, oh wow, this is going to be fun. Um, but <laughs> no, it's just. You know, so um, in I'm short, I will say. Good to know, Colin. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for people who've never encountered me, I am an author. I'm a storyteller. I come from South Africa, a very interesting place. And yeah, my career is really about helping others. I think it's more so about lighting a match in people, Colin, and just showing them how great they are. Like every human being I meet, it's like, I just want to shake them and be like, you are so incredible. Do you know how incredible you are? And yeah, I've made a career doing that, you know, just sharing a piece of my story and showing people that they too have a great story that they can add to the world. So that's who I am. Mm. And, um, you know, your story is, is, is so powerful, you know, it's so powerful. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're at a date, I know that is really, really, um, um has a lot of meaning to you you know yesterday yesterday i saw that you, you posted on facebook that seven years ago you know the uh you know i suppose you started to you, you started to 
I suppose piece things together. I suppose in in what have been happening in your life, maybe. And can you just give us? Can you just give us a bit of? Can you give us a bit of background to to sort of what happened and you know and, and leading up to 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 that that event three uh, seven years ago? Absolutely. So when I was nine months old, unfortunately, my father was brutally murdered by an apartheid assassin by the name of Eugene de Kock. And so growing up, I didn't really have context for this. I didn't actually really think about it because, I mean, as a child, you're not really questioning the big questions of life. And by the time I reached around the age of nine, my mother had purchased the book. It was called Into the Heart of Darkness by Jock Poe. And on the cover of the book were a couple of different men. But I remember my mom pointing at one in particular and saying, this is the man who killed your father. And so every time we'd have guests, my mom would send me to go get this book. And I'd run, I'd get the book, I'd give it to her, and she'd quickly send me out of the room. And every single time, Colin, without fail, it, like someone would scream or cry. And I started getting so curious, like, what is in this book? Um, and I sat outside one day and I listened to what page people were turning to. And I also heard what they were looking at. And it was a picture of my dad. And so at the time, I only owned about three to four pictures of my dad. So I was so excited to add a fifth one to the mix. One day I had my opportunity and my mom had just left the house. I was home alone. I was so excited. I ran to the room. I grabbed the book. I sat at the edge of the bed and I started paging through this book. But as I was going, I started feeling the sense of, I can't describe it as anxiety, but I remember having palpitations. And I eventually got to the page. And Colin, what I saw, would, I mean, I would never want to re-see it even as an adult, but as a nine-year-old, it was even more damaging. And the picture inside was a picture of my dad's burnt body clutching a steering wheel and his eyes were protruding. It was something you would see in like a CGI movie. It was so crazy. And I remember tears welled in my eyes. I started getting like anxiety. I closed the book really quickly, threw it at the back and I never told my mom. However, from that point of nine years old, I started getting depressed and anxious and just became a terrible person, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. um, by the age of 16, I was a competitive athlete and I went to bed one night and I had the severe pain in my chest. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm having a heart attack. And so I rushed to my mom's room and I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. So she rushed me to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, they kept me under observation in the evening and in the morning, the doctor asked to see both my mom and I. And so we sat with him and he said the following words to us, Colin. He said, in my over 20 years of experience, I've never seen stress symptoms so severe in someone your age. Mm -hmm. Then he followed with, your body's killing you. And if you don't change what you're doing, you're going to die. So at the age of 16, I had to come to terms with my own mortality. And for some reason, it, like, you know, I was coming from training, I was figuring out how I was going to stay alive. And a thought hit me. And the thought was, Eugene de Kock killed your father. And now you let him kill you too. And that moment became a defining moment in my life. It became something that really kept me alive. All of a sudden, staying alive was a sign of defiance. And so fast forward to the age of 23. Um, and I'd outlived my diagnosis and I was, you know, happy um, and I got home and then my mom said the following words, which is what you're referring to seven years ago, which is, I just got a call from the National Prosecuting Authority and they want to know if we'd like to meet Eugene. And so that's um, what led me to the incident you referred to seven years ago. And, um, you know, and that was the opportunity to go and to go and meet 
meet with the person that uh, that killed your father. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So can you can you talk through can you talk through that then about you know about what what that experience was like? Yeah, absolutely. So when my mom said those words to me, Colin, I think for me there was no like there was no hesitation. I said yes immediately. Um, and I knew that if I didn't say yes, it would be something I would regret for the rest of my life. And so we said yes, the day came and we drove to the prison, which was about an hour away from where we were staying. It's called Kosimampura Prison in Pretoria. And so as we got, got to the prison, it was not what I was expecting. I was expecting to walk into the steely, cold place, you know, very prison-like. But instead, where they led us to is where the guards and the warden has their dinner. And so it was like a long dining room table. And it felt as though I was visiting an aunt or an old relative. You know, it felt very contradictory to the experience I was about to have. And so they gave us tea and biscuits and we just sat down at the table and how it ended up working out is I sat at the end of the one side, long side of the table. So it was myself, then my younger brother, my older brother, my grandfather and my mom. And then on the other side of the table was the wardens of the prison. And then the rest of the seats were filled by uh, national prosecuting authority members. And right next to me was the priest and next to him would be where Eugene would be sitting. So I didn't choose to be the closest to Eugene. It just worked out that way. Mm -hmm. And so we were speaking amongst ourselves and the warden said, hey, you know, Eugene will walk in at any minute. Just be prepared, you know. And so I think I turned around first. And Colin, when I say it felt as though he had appeared out of thin air, that's exactly what it felt like. And so I looked and there he was. He looked like he had been frozen in time. Everything that I remembered from that image I saw as a child was sitting in front of me. And so it started and my mom started the questions. Um, but first the priest introduced each of us. And he started with my mom who was at the furthest end. And he said, that's Sandra Mama, widow of the deceased Glenick Masilo Mama. And Colin Eugene leaned forward and he said, pleasure to meet you. Then he leaned back. And with each and every one of us, he would lean forward and say, pleasure to meet you. And he would lean back. And so my mom started the line of questioning and she said, you know, Eugene, I just want to know what happened to my husband. And Eugene went on to explain that that sent an Ascari into my father's camp because my father was like into politics and he was in the revolution. And so my father was working for the Pan-African Congress. And so Eugene had sent someone into his camp in order to get intel as to who were the troublemakers, as they called it. And my father was identified as an incredibly smart and skilled marksman and a great driver. And he worked very closely with the leader of the PAC. And so he was identified as one of the big troublemakers. And so what they did was they set up an ambush for my father. My father was told that all he needed to do was drive three men into Nalspreit, which was about 45 minutes from where he was staying, and then he would drive back home. So it wasn't a big deal, I'm sure, to my dad. And so what happened was, as my dad was driving towards Nalspreit, he drove in, and just before the bridge, the man who was working for both sides said, hey, can we stop the car? I just want to get out, but I'll see you guys further along, so you guys can just drive on by and so my dad, I'm sure thinking nothing of it, continued to drive. And as he approached the Nalspreit Bridge, four men were parked on either side of the bridge and they started firing at his minibus. As he continued to drive, Eugene from the top of the bridge realized the car wasn't coming to a stop. So he ran down the Nalspreit Bridge and he emptied out his magazine cartridge on my dad. 
When the car stopped and he still saw signs of life in the vehicle, he doused them all in fuel and he set them alight. And so that was the first time we got that level of detail as to how my father had been killed. And so my mom continued and she said, okay, but the movement and the resistance was huge. So I want to know why exactly my husband and Colin, the following words felt like someone had kicked me in the stomach because Eugene said no reason. So there was no reason my father needed to die that day. And so the conversation continued. We shared a few things about Eugene, us, and so on. And then my mom started and she said, Eugene, I want to say I forgive you. Then my grandfather said, I forgive you. Then my brother said it. Then my younger brother said it. Then it got to me. And this was the first time in the whole encounter I could even speak. And so I looked at him and I said, hi, Eugene. And he looked at me and he said, hi. And I said, I want to say I forgive you. But before I do, I want to ask you one question. And he looked at me and he said, anything, what's that? And I said, I want to know, do you forgive yourself? And he looked at me and he said, every single time a family comes here, that's one question I hope they never ask me. Then he looked away and he wiped the side of his eye because a tear had come down. And he looked back at me and he said, when you've done the things I've done, how do you forgive yourself? And Colin, I just began to, well, like I just started crying and just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. But what surprised me in that moment was that I wasn't crying for myself. I was crying for this human being sitting in front of me because I realized that there was nothing I could say to take away his pain. And there was nothing he could say to take away mine. And so as I continued to cry, the priest said, you know, is there anything else or can we conclude the meeting? So he said, no, we can close it. And so I was sitting the closest to Eugene. So I got up first and I walked around the priest and I got to Eugene and I said, Eugene, would you mind if I gave you a hug? And he looked at me confused. Mm. And then he held me really, really tightly as he towered above me. And then he said, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And your father would have been so proud of the woman you've become. And he released me. And it wasn't lost on me in that moment that the same hands that were used to embrace me were the same hands that were used to take away my father. And so I went my way. Eugene stayed in prison. I went on to advocate for his parole, which he got three months later. So, yeah, that's that's what unfolded exactly seven years ago uh, yesterday. Wow. I mean, it's uh, it's such a such a powerful story. that. And um, <clears throat> I think the, I mean, the question I want to ask is, is, you know, the the forgiveness. What what is, what has that done for you? What is that? What has that given you to be able to do that? Oh, Colin, that's a great question. It's a big question. I mean, for me, forgiveness is a non-negotiable. I think it's something that liberated me so much. It freed me so much. It kind of felt like, you know, when you're wearing the rose-colored glasses, right? Everything is the same tint. You, you don't actually realize after a while that your whole environment is looking that way. And I liken that to anger, resentment, pain. Because when you are living in pain, you don't actually know how it's impacting every arena of your life, right? And there's this beautiful saying that goes, when we do not heal what cut us, we will bleed all over people who didn't hurt us. And that's exactly what happens with resentment, anger, and pain. You go around just bleeding all over people. And for me, once I forgave and I released, 
my life exponentially changed. You know, I became a better person. I became happier. I achieved way more than I could have within that realms of pain. And I also realized that very few people can trigger me because I'm a healed person and I'm continuously healing myself and forgiving things. And what I always tell people is when trauma happens to us, that's the first point of impact. But when we relive it in our minds, it happens again and again and again. And then it becomes our master because then everything that happens is in the realms of that pain. Mm -hmm. And when we don't control our emotions, what people don't realize is then we don't control our lives. And so for me, forgiveness is all about taking back control of your own emotions in order to have control over your life. Mm. I mean, that's, that's exactly right, isn't it? You you know, it's, it's in, in a way, it's empowering you, isn't it? It's empowering you to 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 really, to, I suppose, to you know, to to fulfil what you want in your life. Because there's there's you know, I, I've had you know, I've had experiences in my life that that have been that have been you know really challenging. And and I think once you you know once you're able to come to terms with that, then then there's nothing else that can hurt you, is there? You know, there's there's nothing that can hurt that can take you to the depths that you you have been taken to uh, from that start from that start of your life. And, you know, mm. all, all you can do is just move forward from that. And it's, uh, and it's amazing. It's amazing to see you do it. I mean, I, I have a look when, um, when we met, um, when we met last time, you, uh, you got everybody, there was a, there was a room, I don't know, there's 150, 200 people in a room all, all on zoom, but you got everybody up dancing and you're just, uh, you're just so, <laughs> so full of it. I'm not dancing today, by the way, because I, I do, I do dad dancing. All right. And so we're not, we're not having any of that. <laughs> But there seems to be that you know you you seem you seem okay, and you might tell me differently. But you seem really content. You seem really happy with where you are as a, as a person. Is that is that fair to say? I think it is fair to say, and I think you know what you said is so powerful. I think not that when you forgive, you don't experience hard things. Hard things continue to happen because that's the human experience. We continuously getting challenged in order to grow. What I try and show people is that pain is a part of the process you are going to experience pain. That's a non-negotiable of life. But it's how you choose to interpret that pain that's going to define whether you become a better person or a worse off person. And so I think the beauty of overcoming is that not only does it enrich your life and grow you as an individual, you realize that you are someone who's capable of overcoming difficult things. And therefore you put yourself in situations where it's like, hey, why not try? Why not do more of that, right? And so I think that's where a lot of my self-affirmation and I think that's a lot of my contentment comes from. It's not that I don't feel like hard things are going to happen because I experience hard things often, but I always think to myself, oh, well, I know this is a hard thing that I'm going through, but I also know that I've overcome hard things before. I'm excited to see what's going to come next, but I'm not going to be miserable through the journey, you know? So I think to me, it's just the devotion to not being miserable on my journey through life. Yeah. That's right. You're definitely not that. And, and I think, you know, I mean, again, you know, I think sometimes people misinterpret what forgiveness really is, you know, and they, and they, they you know, cause it's not about, it's not about forgetting. And it's, and it's, and it's definitely not about condoning either what happened, you know, but it's, you know, it's, it's so, you know, it, it's so much more than that. And, it, and I'd say, I think it gives you, is it, is it fair to say that it, it's, it's giving you some, some peace of mind and, you know, mm. maybe, maybe freedom. Is that, does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love that you emphasize that because my book is actually titled Forgiveness Redefined because 
I know for me, I never resonated with the traditional forms of or sayings that came with forgiveness. It was always forgive and forget. And, you know, um, forgiving is condoning, forgiving is for the other person. All of those things ran through my mind as I was processing. Um, and when I realized forgiveness is actually completely about me, it's a, it's a selfish act in the sense that I want to be happier. I don't want to be controlled by some person who hurt me a while ago. Because, you know, when you listen to my story, a lot of the time people will look at it as like, oh, Candice, yours is understandable. It's such a big story, but I don't have a big story. Mine is a little story. And I always come back to the fact that, number one, it's important for us to realize we are not in the pain Olympics here, okay? We are not getting gold medal for who endured the most, okay? But besides that, it's, if something has hurt you and if something is still influencing your behavior, your actions through life, whether that is a relationship that fell apart and you say, I will never love again. It does not hurt the person who hurt you. It hurts you, right? So it continues to then spill over into new relationships. And so I think it's so important for people to understand that forgiving is really about saying, I refuse for this to control me any longer and I'm taking back my power. And so when I think of forgiveness and when I teach forgiveness, it's as an empowering tool to you and not so much about the other individual, which I define as reconciliation and not forgiveness. Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the, um, I think one of the things that, uh, that, that my profession um, really, really struggled to, to get to terms with is, um, is when something goes wrong, somebody, people want to blame somebody, people want to blame somebody for it. And, and I think when you when you start to blame, then then you lose the opportunity to to learn. And you know, and, and we're in a we're in a, a, a I suppose in a profession where, you know, where we're trying to we're trying to stop people getting hurt. You know, health health and safety is is to try and stop people suffering ill health or or, or some kind of injury. But it's got this massive massive blame attached to it when you know when you're investigating things that have happened. How would you, you know, when you're when you're looking at things, how, how would you take a different view? If you were if you were investigating something or looking at something, investigating is a horrible word. But if you're looking at something that happened, how do, how do you go about it? You know, without apportioning blame, what do you what approach do you try mm. to take? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Colin. And I actually do not blame in life. I think it's a very disempowering state because then what I'm saying to you, Colin, is you hold all the power. I can't change anything because it's your fault. It's your responsibility. You did this, right? And therefore, it's up to you to fix it or else I'm going to live in a mess or I'm going to continue to be unsafe and I'm going to continue to endure this issue. However, what I do do is I will always take accountability regardless of if it's my fault or not. Because when I take the responsibility, I know myself and I trust myself enough to fix it. So I'll say, okay, how, where could I have gone right here? Like, what could I have done differently in order to have avoided this? And how can I put that measure into place so that this doesn't occur again? Because if I'm going to blame Peter, Paul, whoever, um, it takes away the response. It takes away any sort of way I can fix the situation because yes, it's going to make me feel better in the moment and be like, oh, well, it's not my fault and they should have done it better and they should have, should have, should have, could have, but it doesn't fix the problem. And then what it does is not only does it sour the relationship between the, you and the person you're blaming, but it, there is no solution. And by the time the solution is implemented, the, there's no trust. And so for me, I would rather say acknowledgement is key. I will acknowledge the fact that, oh, you know, when I delegated this or when this happened, you know, this is how you should have, you could have implemented it better, but this is where I could have done better. 
I could have shown you better. I could have done this, that, and the other. And together, we can work together in order to ensure that this doesn't occur again. In that way, we both feel empowered to change it. But I've never seen anyone change because you blame them, Colin. I've never seen, you know, finger pointed at me. And I'm like, you know what? I am so empowered to go and change this. (laughs) It's such, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I'm I'm so pleased I asked that question because, because, um, because the answer that you gave will resonate with so many people because you know there is there is this 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 belief you know within a lot of health and safety professionals out there that uh, you know this 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 short term satisfaction you get from pointing the finger is actually doing something and it's not it's not having any impact it's, it's just negative you know because you you mentioned another really important word when you were talking there and you use the word trust just talk to me how important is trust I love, I love asking these really simple, straightforward questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is great. Um, And trust is fundamental, especially in relationship building, right? In, in organizations, in relationships, anytime you are in contact with another human being outside of yourself, if trust is not like present, it is very hard to move forward. It is very hard to make decisions. It is very hard to delegate effectively. So not only does it impact you as an individual, it impacts both the dynamic, right? And the business and the organization and how things move forward. And so without trust, there can be no movement. And so it is very important that before you expect trust of others, that you allow yourself to be a trustworthy, but also open individual who accepts accountability. Because I think a lot of people expect to be trusted, but they struggle to take accountability when things go wrong, right? And so I think as a leader or as a person who is engaging with other people, you have to be the kind of person that when you do something wrong, Colin, whether it's within your relationship with your wife or with your kids or, you know, in the business context, being able to stand up and say, look, this happened and I am taking accountability for it. And I can guarantee you, people think it's going to have the effect of people looking at you and thinking you're an idiot or like you messed up or what, but actually that fosters more trust because it's like, oh, Colin is the kind of man that when he messes up, he can acknowledge it. So I can trust him. And when you look at it through the past, or you look at teachers or whoever you've encountered, when people struggle to accept accountability, how often do you trust them? I mean, I don't trust them very much. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's going to mess it up. And then he's going to blame someone for it. And then this is going to happen. You know, so I think trust is fundamental in any relationship that you have with another individual. Uh, no, definitely, definitely. And so you, you know, in your in your life now, you've um, you know, you've 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 I suppose harnessed all this um, all this 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 power, this inner power that you've had from from all of the from all of the the, the grief and the hardship that you that you had at that early early age, and you're now I see on your website you you've got a, a change catalyst. I think is the is is the is this the line that you uh, what what does that what does that mean then? What does that mean to you? Yeah. I mean, that was very important for me uh, because, you know, I think sometimes when you are speaker, Colin, you know this, um, when you are in a, a field whereby, you know, you're giving a certain amount of information out and people are changing due to that information, I think people sometimes confuse it and they assume that you're the one that changed their life. And I remember when I was a lot younger because my career started at 24. 
people would come up to me and they'd say, oh my goodness, you changed my life. And I felt so uneasy about that. I'd be like, no, I did not change your life. You know, you changed your life. And so when I use the word catalyst, the catalyst is something that triggers us into motion, right? Or it triggers a system or a unit into action. And so for me, I just want you to be the spark that triggers a thought in you that allows you to initiate the change. I am not the one who is changing you. I'm not the one who is doing the hard work. I'm not the one going to the therapist. I'm not the one, you know, leaving that toxic relationship or changing my life. No, I'm, I'm just the person who's giving you the information and I can tell you, Hey, I've done this. This works for me. And I really hope that through hearing this, it has sparked a small glimmer of hope in you and you can take that and you can change your life. And so being a change catalyst for me is just, I feel as though if everyone knew how powerful and incredible and resilient they are, that the world would be a different place. And so if I can be a part of making that happen, it, it is a huge honor and it's a responsibility, I think. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so important, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I just want to take it back to the, to sort of the, the work scenario a little bit here, because I'm, because as, as a, you know, we have gone through massive, massive change in the last, uh, in the last two years, haven't we? You know, it's been, it's been enormous what we've, um, you know, what we've had to, what we've had to deal with and what we've had to cope with. But, but what you, what you tend to see is that, that, that people have come, come out of it. You know, there's obviously, there's, there's, there's always winners and losers, but, um, um, but people people have come out of it with with different approaches, different ways of of thinking. What what mistakes can people if if people want to change the way they are or the things that are going on in their business? Where do they often get it wrong? What what are the mistakes that people try to do to 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 influence or make a change? And what would you say mm. is, is bet, a better way of 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 trying to influence people? Hmm. That's a brilliant question. And I think for me and my experience is people want to um, externally change things and they want to change other people before they change themselves. So when disaster or catastrophe strikes, they immediately want to tell everyone else how they can change themselves and how they can do better and how they should be running their lives. But I think very rarely do people begin with themselves. And I've seen the best organizations and the best leaders starting with themselves first and saying, how am I going to, if taking accountability, right, take, acknowledging what is going on, um, accepting responsibility, um, and then releasing blame, like releasing guilt, releasing shame. And so once people can do that for themselves, they become more empathetic towards themselves, and therefore they become more empathetic leaders, and they can move through an organization, a system, or a place, and they can give that empathy to understand that, okay, it took me a certain amount of time to fix and deal with my issues and where I am and acknowledge my like pain. And I know that it's going to take other people the same amount of time where it's going to take them time to do this. So in order to change what's happening, I need to lead by example, right? And I need to be the one, hey guys, I know we're going, acknowledge, acknowledge that people are going through a universal trauma right now. Mm. And starting off by people being seen, Colin, I think, my goodness, it is one of the most powerful tools any leader can use, which is I see you. And seeing someone is just going to them and saying, I know you're going through a lot. I know you're facing a trauma. I know this has been a difficult year for you. And I acknowledge that. And I thank you for showing up anyway. I thank you for showing up in the face of hardship. Um, I think that is so important. Once people have, are dealing with themselves and they take that accountability, going to other people and saying, I see you. 
I acknowledge this is a difficult time. I acknowledge that you as Colin, not organizational you, not the big you, but I know that you as Colin are going through some things. And I appreciate that you still show up here. I appreciate that you're still here in the company. And it's incredible. Like, you know, I'll say this to companies. I've been fortunate to work with some incredible organizations. And Colin, when I say this, I see the CEOs roll their eyes. They're like, mm, mm, mm. I, I knew I shouldn't have hired her. Um, and then I will like, I'll get feedback along the lines of just simple acknowledgement, simple acknowledgement and being seen. They, they're like, it has changed the dynamic of the organization. People are now wanting to be here. People want to devote their time. People want to be a part of fixing the problem and not just, you know, rolling through because they're like, oh, this is just a guaranteed paycheck for me. But now they invested members of the organization. And I think that's the most important thing. You want invested members. You do not want people who are just there because, well, they like, I need this job, you know? So I think the biggest mistake people make is trying to delegate without empathy and to uh, try and fix without fixing themselves. So those are the two big things that I tend to see. So that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, and you're so right, you know, it's, we're, you know, senior managers are so easy to, to, to try and, um, to try and pass on or, or, or impose accountability onto, onto other people without actually looking at themselves and actually saying, you know, well, what, what should I be doing? And if you can, if you start doing the, the things in the right way yourself, then, people are going to see it people are going to are going to are going to are going to start to to react to that and they're going to start to uh you know start to engage with that and i think that's uh, that's the important mm-hmm. thing and I, I think this really comes back to you know comes back i suppose to you know having a having a purpose i suppose isn't it and having you know what is you know you know what is what is a purpose and so what's what's you and again this is another another simple question but what's what's your purpose in life what's, what's your why oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> You, you are you are asking the you are asking <laughs> the big ones. Um, <laughs> you know, um, my purpose in life is genuinely highlighting to people how incredible they are, utilizing different art forms, utilizing different platforms. Um, I think for me, I'm a storyteller. Innately, I've always been a storyteller, and I think for me, highlighting that each and every individual carries a remarkable story within them. And I think people are so good at underplaying that and they're so good at underplaying themselves that we lose out on so much richness from people because they go through life like they just, you know, they just coast. And I'm like, you are here for so much more than this. You have the capacity to be brilliant. You have the capacity to be radiant and living a life of your dreams and living that, you know, like that aligned life. So when I speak about this, sometimes people think I'm speaking about the big thing, you know, like everyone's dream is to have a mansion and drive a Ferrari or whatever the case is, but that's not true. I think when all of us really tune into our heart space and we really align ourselves and we're like, what is that thing that won't leave me alone? What is that niggle in my soul? What is that thing that really like drives me forward? All of us have that thing, Colin. I think the more we ignore it, the more quiet it begins to get. But the more you follow it, the more remarkable your life becomes. And I think for me, that's really what I want to do. I think I want to, I want to embody it. I want to show people what trusting your intuition looks like and feels like. And I want them to see it through my actions and through my life, you know, and like, you know, you've seen, I, I post dance videos and I'm, you know, I'm playful with my life and I can be serious. And so I'm constantly accessing different parts of myself to show people you are not one thing. 
So stop living your life like you want thing. And so whether that be through acting, whether that be through writing books, whether that be through speaking, whether it be through coaching, whatever method I use, all of it is really to show people on a large scale that they are remarkably resilient, capable, magical, and they can do anything that they put their minds to if they choose to do so. So it's a big, um, it's, a, it's a big convoluted way to answer your question to really say, you know, I think for me, if I passed away and people said anything about me, what I really want them to say is, wow, like I really lived my life all out because I saw her live her life all out. I think that would be a huge, just honor, huge honor. My um my 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 son uh, uh has recently my oldest son has recently left home and uh, um and has, has got and has got his uh, his own place and uh, and I just wrote him a little letter and just uh and just said you know that, that you know you're sort of how, how proud I am of him okay um because because I am but but also you know he he, he hasn't. He hasn't found his why yet. He, he doesn't. He doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life. He's he's only twenty. He's twenty, twenty five, twenty six, twenty five. God, that's terrible. I didn't know exactly how old he was. But um, but I, I wish. I suppose you know. I I probably never really really understood what I really wanted to do until I you know probably until the last two or three years you know. And I've 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 been I've been on a journey in my life and I've been doing things. But it's only really recently that I've really really got mm-hmm. some comfort to, to what I want to do. And I suppose, you know, doing this po- podcast is, is, is part of, is part of that, you know, it's, it's been part of that journey, but, you know, for me to, uh, you know, to find out what it is that, that I wanted to do, but uh, I hope he, I hope he, you know, is able to find his way. But if you were going to, you know, if you were going to, you know, just give a, a, a few pointers to people, you know, what, what sort of, what sort of questions should they be asking themselves or what should they be, you know, thinking about to, to try and to try and work out, what their you know what their why or what their purpose is is, is that is it possible mm. to answer that yeah I mean you know I can try as with everything in life Carla and I just try <laughs> um <laughs> but I think I think for me you know I think what you said is so beautiful which is you you there's no like there's no limitation as to when you figure out things are I I just don't believe in that I think life yes is very finite I think all of us should be trying everything I think if it feels right in your soul, I think you should try it. I think if it if it resonates with you and you say, okay, but I really want to do this, Con. And I think every person has got something, and this is where they should start. I think we that one thing, that one thing that seems impractical or silly, or people have downplayed it, and you're like, I'd really like to do this. Like you know those jokes. Where it's like if you could do anything and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? I think that's the thing, right? And so if that thing for you is like gosh, I really love cooking. And if I could cook for people and, you know, and I could make money doing that, then that would be my thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you should ask yourself like, okay, cooking is just like a manifestation because there's so many different manifestations for what our purpose can do. Right. So it's like, what, how do I feel when I cook? What, what is it about wanting to cook for others? Because wanting to cook for yourself is one thing, right? Most people don't want to be like chefs and cooks because they like cooking for themselves. They do it because they like cooking for others. So then you go down to the coin, you say, you know, when I'm doing that thing, what feeling does it bring up in me? And for a lot of people, it could be like, you know, it, it makes me feel connected. It makes me feel, you know, vibrant. It makes me feel like I'm doing something. It makes me feel like, you know, my family appreciates me, like all these things. And then I ask you, whatever feeling that thing that you'd really want to do brings up, what other activities and things harness that? 
And I think whatever brings that up in you, I feel like you should be chasing that. You should be doing more of that and you should be doing it often and failing and falling and you're trying it and, you know, doing something else and being like, you know what? I thought pottery was my thing, but I hate pottery. I'm going to go try and paint and paintings on my thing. I'm going to go do music. Music's on my thing. I'm going to do theater. I think what holds people back is that feeling of like, I'm scared to fail. And Colin, if I tell you, I'm genuinely not scared to fail at anything. Um, I'm scared. I do have fears, but I'm not afraid to do it and fail. I'm afraid to not do it. So my biggest driver in life is I do not want to live with regrets ever. So if when I look over my life, there's not a single thing I can be like, I regret it, whether it's in love, whether it's in business, whether it's in career, I don't regret a thing. And I think so many people limit themselves because they're so scared of, gosh, what will my wife, my mother, my cousin, my friend, my neighbor think? And honestly, I can tell you being the guinea pig that I've been in my life and in my friends' lives. And they stress out so much for me. Everyone around me is always like, what is she going to do next? Is she okay? Um, And I tell you, like, all of them have gotten used to it. They've all jumped on board because they've realized that when I do something consistently enough, eventually I get it right. And I hope that more people would try something long enough to get it right and to live in alignment with their soul. So I don't think there's a there's a clear question as to how to find your purpose. But if there ever was, I'd say trust that feeling. Everyone's got the feeling. I don't care who you are. All of you know the feeling. Trust that feeling and follow it. Follow it. It's going to be scary. It's going to be hard. It's going to lead you down some weird paths. And you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, this is what they warned me about. Look at where I am now. Look at where I am now. And then you're going to come out of it. And you're going to be like, oh, I'm so glad I made it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant, brilliant. How do you um how do you stop taking on too much? Mm. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. How, how do I like or, or do you not? Do, do you not? I mean, you know, you know, maybe you don't. You know, uh, Colin, so with me, I think and with I, you. I nearly stumped you then, didn't I? I nearly stumped yeah, you. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> you, you did. You did. Well done. Um, <laughs> and I don't get stumped often. You know, I think it's an interesting question because I'm actually asking myself and reflecting on it at this very moment in my life. I feel like I do a lot, right? And I, I'm very happy in everything I do. Um, but I think that at some point, you know, you have to ask yourself the question of, am I still aligned with my soul? And I think that's a very powerful question that every person should be asking themselves frequently, because when you start doing things that are aligned with your soul or with your purpose, I think what tends to happen is opportunities do come. And sometimes they take you off your path, but they're not, they're not, um, they disguise themselves as being your path and your purpose because they're like, yeah, but you still get to do, you said you wanted to be a writer. And what you really want to do is write fiction books. And now all of a sudden you're writing about like, you know, a bone cracking, you know, for a chiropractor magazine. Yes, technically it's writing, but it's definitely not what you want to be writing about. Right. So sometimes then you get stuck and you're like, but yeah, I've always wanted to be a writer and you make You make excuses for why you're stuck where you are. And I'd say to people, when you feel like you're doing too much, it's because you're out of balance. When you feel like you're doing too much, you need to sit back and reflect and say, hmm, where am I doing too much? And if I'm asking myself this, what am I neglecting? Because that question comes up when you're neglecting an area of your life. And so if you are neglecting that, Oprah said it best. She said, in life, you can have everything you want, but 
you cannot have it all at once. And Colin, when I heard that my life, honestly, the burden on my shoulder got released. I was like, oh, thank God, I don't need to do it all at once. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so there are parts of my life that all like that are doing really well right now. And there are parts of my life that aren't doing that well. Um, but I'm just constantly aware of it. I'm very empathetic with myself. I listen to myself frequently. I question myself a lot. Um, and I always ask myself, am I doing too much to run away from what I need to deal with? Or am I doing too much because genuinely I love doing all these things? And I think there's always a balance there. You've got to keep asking yourself. So no, there's no generic answer to that. And also, I am not sure I answered that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. I think, and I think again, that get the, the balance bit was really and, and listening to yourself. And um, you know, I've I've been I've been really heavy because I've, I haven't exercised enough, and then I've lost weight, and then I've put it on, and, and it's always been a it's always been a challenge for me. You know, yo yo up and down, and um, you know, and it's and, but what I have I noticed that when when I put weight on, it's because I'm I'm not I'm not giving myself the 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 right amount of time to do to do things because i'm trying to keep everybody else happy and uh you know not 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 doing the right things myself and it's really interesting i i'm i'm doing a coaching qualification at the moment which i'm absolutely loving and it's probably one of the one of the most exciting things that i'm that i that i am ever going to do is be able to to sort of help help people by asking them really great questions about themselves and and listening to their answers and um, you know and that's that's i'm really looking forward to that but i asked some of my friends and colleagues a number of questions and everybody came back everybody came back to this one question about what could i what could i do better for myself and they all said do less everyone every person said you do too much you take too much on and i've got you know and i, I sat there and i thought jesus you know everybody said this and um and if i don't do anything about this i've gone to these amazing people who are really important to me or else i wouldn't have written to them and and they've given me this feedback. If I don't do something about that, then then not not only am I letting myself down because I would be, but I'm letting them down as well. And and I don't want to do that. And so 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 I'm I'm starting to do do less of the things that aren't important. And uh, you mm. know our time is so valuable, isn't it? Every, everybody's time is so valuable. Yeah, you know we need to we need to do the right things in that time. You know, I haven't asked you a question then. I've just made a statement. <laughs> no, I think that's, no, that's a great statement to make. I think that's a brilliant statement to make because I feel like, so for me, how I value activities in my life is, does this maximize me or does it minimize me? Activities that I don't want to be doing, but I'm doing minimize me activities that I want to be doing because they're going to lead to a better outcome or it leads to better financial security or whatever the case is that I'm my goal is at the time they maximize me and so I don't want people to think that you know when they feeling off balance or you know they're not um, in alignment necessarily I think sometimes you know life does happen and sometimes you just don't you don't you don't have the perfect balances yet but I do think that your feelings will always tell you the truth and when I what I mean by that is when you get to that place, right, whether it be in your body, because I like I don't fluctuate with weight, but I do know that like there's certain parts of my body when they start acting up, it's an alarm bell. It's something and it will give me a feeling. And when that feeling gets overwhelming enough, I know I need to stop because I'm like, no, nope. you know, everything else is not important right now. What is going on? Why am I out of balance? Am I doing it for other people? Um, and so I think it's being in constant awareness. And I think the beauty about coaching, the beauty about any part of life is being able to say, I'm a constant learner. I'm constantly curious. You know, I don't have it all figured out. And that's perfect. That's perfect because that's the journey. 
once you have it all figured out, it's time for you to depart the earth because, well, you know, there's nothing for you to do anymore. Like, you know, you can bid us farewell and, you know, elevate, elevate. But yeah, I don't think anyone should feel like they, they should have it all figured out because I don't think anyone does. Wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't life be boring if you did? You know, if you, if you knew. So wouldn't it? It'd be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you knew it all. Oh, no. Oh, dear. You know, it's so funny, Colin, because I'm always trying to hack the system. And so I'm a huge, uh, I, I love psychology. I love, you know, the human mind, why we do what we do, reading, body language, all of that stuff. It's like way up my alley. And so because I'm such a mental person, like I love diving into the mind. I also like shortcuts, but I always try and figure out like, do shortcuts actually work? When do they work? Why do they work? And so I love tarot. So tarot is a predictive tool and astrology and all this esoteric stuff. But I'm very like, I'm, um, I'm not like a blind believer. I'm the kind of person where I want to prove it. I'm like, I want to prove this is right, right? And so I wanted to see like, oh, I want to predict the future because we're talking about knowing, right? I want to know what's going to happen. I want to be prepared for it so I can hack it. So then by the time it happens, then obviously I would have dealt with it already. So I'll be perfect. Funniest thing happens. I go to a reader that actually happens to be really good. They predict certain things are going to happen. She's like, you know, big change is going to happen an upheaval here, there. Colin, everything she predicted was right. It was just not in the way I prepared for it. Like, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> and that's what life is supposed to be. It's supposed to constantly surprise us. So even when you think you know, you probably don't know. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, what, what big and exciting things have you got coming up in your, uh, in your life over the next, uh, I don't know, over the next six, six, 12 months? Anything? Oh, my goodness. Oi, Colin. Um, <laughs> I am honestly one of the few people in life that I, I, I'm a huge believer that um, I plan and God laughs. Uh, so I just I generally have scopes of what I am working on and what comes to fruition, what ends up coming up. It just happens. Um, but all willing and all divine willingness in there. Um, I will hopefully have my second book written um, in the next year. I will be in a docu-series for Netflix. Um, I will be doing a whole bunch of cool stuff, interviews with some remarkable people. Um, but all of it is in the air, you know, I think. And that's how I like living my life. I, I, I'm constantly listening to my intuition. And it's funny you asked me this question today because my younger brother was teasing me and he said, he says, you know how difficult it is being your brother. So I'm like, what do you mean? I'm a great sister. Okay. And he's like, no, you're amazing. He's, but he's like, but you're so unpredictable. He's like, it is insane. He's like, I can't keep up with you. It's actually quite stressful. And he's like, you know, what's the sad part? And I'm like, what? He's like, you don't even know what you're going to do next. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, accurate, very accurate. So Colin, to be really dead honest with you, I have no clue. But I do know that it's going to be fun. It's going to be for the people. And it's going to be, I think the next chapter in my life that's unfolding is going to be much more media-based than it's been. So I'm doing a lot more bigger scale media projects than I've done before. So I'm excited about that. That's absolutely wonderful. How, um, how can people get hold of you? Yeah, so um, if they've got any social media, um, it is Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, Mama, M-A-M-A. -A. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me pretty much every, everywhere. And yes, yes, people, let me just put it out there. Mama is my surname. Mama is my surname. I didn't choose it. It chose me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. You know, I've, re- I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, when when we when we briefly met uh, a few weeks back, uh, you you was just enthralling, and it has been again today. So thank thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely, and I think there's been some really insightful stuff that you've uh, that you've given not just myself but the people that listen to the to the podcast that an opportunity to 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 experience. So thank you so much for that. Oh, Colin, it's been an honor. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It truly means the world to me. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Wow. Um, Candice, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and for talking um, in the way you did. It was just, it was just so much fun. Um, you know, you can, hopefully people can hear that from the, uh, you know, from the way that we were interacting, but uh, an absolutely amazing individual. And, and I think there are so many lessons from her life, from her story that we can apply into, into health and safety and this, you know, and just moving away from blame. And, you know, when, you know, when you have an incident, when you have an accident on your site, you know, in actual fact, don't, don't look at the, at the, the people that have, that have had the incident or had the accident, but actually look at yourself. Look, what is it that you as an individual could have, could have done differently? However, within the business to, to have influenced things in a slightly different way, you know, take some responsibility yourself for what has happened there. Don't just, uh, don't just point the finger and blame because that gets, you know, absolutely nowhere. You know, we've, we're in, we're in businesses together. You know, we all work, we all work together, you know, I, I provide consultancy support to organizations and sometimes I'm only in there for a few days a, a year. But but even those few days, I've still got responsibility and it's still down to me, you know, to provide the right kind of advice and support and approach into the business. If you're a manager in a business, you know, every day or, you know, you're, you're on site infrequently or or even if you've just been asked to come and to come and do the investigation or the, you know, or to see what's happened, you've still got some responsibility to, to really, you know, get to the, to the real bottom of what it is that's, that's actually happened and why the outcome has gone the way that it has. And so, you know, so look at yourself. I think, you know, you know, having the, the strength, you know, you can be whoever you want to be, you know, and it's entirely up to you. And if you, you know, and if you, if you, if you, if you feel that you can be the best in the world or you, you don't feel that you can be the best in the world, then then you're right. You know, both of both of those views are right. It's down to you, you know, and what you want to achieve and where you want to be. Um, you know, I was truly, truly inspired by by Candice the first time I I, I was I had the opportunity to listen to her speak. And um, and I've been inspired again. Yeah, an absolutely amazing individual, an amazing woman who's got so much uh, so much passion for 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 life, for for becoming the best version that she can of herself, and and coming from a very dark place. And we've we've all been there, you know. We everybody has got a story. Everybody has got um you know has got has got something that uh, that's had an impact on the way that they've grown and they've developed. And you know, and it's about it's about how we how we take take our lives forward you know from those from those difficult places from those dark places and really uh you know and really drive forward to become the uh the the individuals and the people that we are you know thank you thank you candice thank you for coming on um it was an absolute pleasure to spend uh some spend the time talking to you and i hope the people that have listened to this episode have, have got as much out of it as uh, as i did hey you know we'll speak to you again really soon bye for now Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage. (laughs) 